it's never too late and it's never too soon. Take it from me, it's I to be in living color. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We are on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P. And we are on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. Find us on Blur.com, our partners full of nerdy content from a black cultural lens. I'm your host, Brendan, and I'm joined by Mel again. Hello, hello. Hi, what's up? How you doing? I'm all right. How about yourself? I'm good. Despite the coronavirus, I'm actually teaching again. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of, the numbers have gone down so low here, so. Right. Yeah, less than 25 a day for the past four days. Right. Mm-hmm. But public schools are still closed. They're still doing online schools, but I'm at a, in Korean they say Hagwon, it's a, a private institution. Mm-hmm. I teach at a kindergarten, and so we're back. But that being said... The max number of children that can be in a classroom are 14. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't have a class with more than six kids right now. Mm-hmm. One class only has two kids in it. I'm not surprised. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I would be if I was a parent, I'd have a hard time deciding to send my kid back to school when public schools aren't even in session. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then there's so much going on. By the way. Uh, listeners, comment if you're surprised to find out that Brendan is a kindergarten teacher. I'm sure some of you were like, he teaches at a what? A where? Hold on. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a science and gym teacher. Mm-hmm. And science is fine. They go to the classroom to teach it to the kids. But I do gym in my gym. Mm-hmm. But because of this virus, they don't want the kids walking around the school too much mm-hmm. or touching anything. And then they're, they're yeah, kindergartners. Exactly. They put everything in. The, they touch in everything. Mouth, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have to teach gym in the classroom, which is as frustrating and as confusing as it sounds. Like, what are you doing? Hand jive at their desks? I mean, yeah. Especially when there's like two kids. Yeah, no kidding. So I've only taught two days so far. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, we did kind of warm ups, you know, your your neck rolls, your touch your toes. Mm-hmm. But we can't even sit on the floor to do like butterfly stretches because they can't touch the floor because yeah. it could be, you know, it could be, be contaminated. Contained, you know, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And are they like increasing the sanitation or anything? Oh, yeah. So everyone wears masks, the kids and the teachers. There's a new schedule for how we wash our hands. One class goes at a time to the bathroom and all throughout the day it isn't like a whole big jumble. When the bell rings, usually it's just a whole big mess where everyone's just lined up, packed, packed. So that's different. All the special classes, the art and all that stuff, everyone goes to the classroom to teach the kids. They don't really travel too much around. That's really it. Yeah. I mean, I, they're doing what they can. There's right. not I mean, After a certain point, life is never going to go back to 100% quote unquote normal. But you're, we're going to have to start like doing things in society again. So, I mean, there's going to be some lasting changes. But eventually, yeah, everybody's going to have to go back to school. Although... Again, if I was a parent, I don't know how I'd feel about this right now. I would probably err on the side of caution and wait to send my kid back to school. So I can see why you don't have so many students. The irony of that is I teach pretty well-off kids. Mm-hmm. I don't want to disclose like who they are, Yeah, but they're, they're very well-off. So it's ironic that they would risk sending their kids to school when they could probably afford mm-hmm. something else. Well, clearly half of them are. So yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, the nanny culture is not a thing here in the way that it is in a lot of other places. So like a lot of a lot of other countries, rich people will get a nanny or it gets like a 
personal something in to work with their kids, but that's not really a thing in Korea in the same way. So I can see, I can see why. Right, they're more mm-hmm. of like cooks and cleaners, not really like mm-hmm. yeah. really working yeah. with the kids yeah. like yeah. that. People You're tend right. to kind of pull in people, like in Parasite, they'll get like somebody to come in and do a, a private lesson for an hour or two hours art, with kids. Art tutor, the yeah, English different tutor, tutors, the math but tutor. The right. idea of having one primary hired caretaker for your kids is still not a thing. That's very true. Yeah. Well, of course, this show is yeah. not about Brennan's adventures in yeah. education. It's an interesting little glimpse into Korean culture. Sure. I'm in still bored in my house and my house bored. So, yeah, nothing's changed with me. <laughs> How many books have you read since this quarantine has oh, started? Oh, God, I don't even know. You know, I'm actually keeping track, like proper track, um, for the first time ever because I started this book to bookstagram thing and I'm at over 50 for the year so far. The year? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're four months in and I've read like 53 books, which is kind of crazy. I didn't realize I was this big a bookworm, but clearly I am. So, yeah. You recommended me and on the show you recommended Mm -hmm. the the 10 social justice books and Mm -hmm. I'm still just digesting that one book. Well, let's be real. I haven't read any of those yet. (laughs) No, but you've still read 50 books. I'm still only Mm -hmm. focusing on that particular book. Yeah. Well, it, look, it's it's not a race. It's it's a it's a it's an experience. Okay. I just happen to be like I said. I'm bored in my house, and my house bored working on other things, and I have a lot of time to read. So I am mm-hmm. word, word. All right. Oh my god. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's move on. So yes. today's big focus is the celebration of the 30th anniversary of the debut of In Living Color, the seminal black comedy sketch show created by Keenan Ivory Wayans. The first episode came out April 15th, 1990. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about some of the history, our favorite moments, character sketches, and some drama that y'all may not be familiar with. Yeah. And uh, a little trivia. For a comedy show, it had a lot of drama. Yeah. First, let's go back, way back, to 1988, when Keenan released I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, a black exploitation comedy cult hit Written by, directed by, and starring Keenan himself. Keenan set up screenings with various movie studios. Fox, which was just getting started around that time, sent TV executives. And while Keenan was more interested in doing another movie, Fox executive Garth Ansir presented to him the opportunity to do a black laugh-in. And for those who don't know Rowan and Martin's sketch show, it was a popular sketch show from the late 60s and early mm-hmm. 70s. Mm-hmm. Ansir said that Keenan could do whatever he wanted to do, which became a recurring line in the theme song for the first two seasons. You can do mm-hmm. what you want. Okay. <laughs> in living color, moving exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> Keenan was a fan of SNL, but he wanted a show with a faster pace and more edge. So he started to put a show together and pick his cast. Now, notable people who auditioned but didn't get chosen first the big one martin lawrence Mm -hmm. but you know i'm not sure if he would fit in hindsight he wouldn't have yeah Yeah. he didn't actually wind up on the show because at the time he so there's a whole huge backstory to in living color which i'm sure we'll get into a bit more Mm -hmm. but kind of it you know everybody kind of jokes all black people in soul know each other well all black people in comedy at the time knew each other but martin lawrence was very much not a part of the in crowd yet so like you mentioned i'm gonna get you sucka actually that idea for that film came from eddie murphy they were like hanging out at his house and he made he came up with the idea and then keenan later called him and said i think i want to make that movie and eddie was like okay but like eddie murphy chris rock uh Keen, all of the Wayans and a bunch of other black comedians all used to hang out together and like riff off each other. Robert Townsend was a part of that crew. 
So, but Martin Lawrence wasn't really a part of that in crowd at that time. He kind of became part of it later. So I can see why he wasn't considered a part of it. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another person, Margaret Cho. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Because they did later give what Steve Park, another Korean American comedian, a platform. Right. Mm-hmm. From your reading, mm-hmm. was there anyone else who auditioned but didn't get the part that were ever I big deals? I don't remember off the top of my head. There were there were a lot of people who kind of hung around later on. Dave Chappelle was really trying to get on the show just before it got canceled. Really? So he would like hang out backstage. He was friends with one of the guys who was on the show in later seasons in season four. And he would like hang out in his dressing room and like basically beg to be on the show. And then it got canceled. Man. Yeah, wow. exactly. And he was like, a, he, was, he would have been really young at the time, sure. like late teens, early 20s. Right. Yeah. And he was just begging to be on the show and they never found a spot for him. Wow. Yeah. I think the person about people who turned the show down mm-hmm. is John Leguizamo. Okay, that's that is an interesting story as well. There's so many different versions of that because okay. you know how John Leguizamo did House of Buggin' after In Living Color finished. Right. Speaking of which, Brennan referenced my reading. I just finished reading a book called Homie Don't Play That, which is a history of In Living Color by the author David Peisner, who also wrote the biography from one of the guys from Jackass. Interesting pivot. But um, <laughs> so there's a lot of the information I'm referencing comes from that book, but also we're massive fans and I've been like fangirling out over many of the cast members for years. John Leguizamo, he, the thing is he was busy doing so many other things. And also they had a hard time navigating how to include other experiences. They were really a black comedy show with some white people included. When they finally did even get a Latino writer, they had a really hard time figuring out how to integrate him. He wasn't very happy. Steve Park often found himself kind of marginalized, and he had some interesting things to say about that that. later. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how true the rumors are that John Leguizamo also often got cast. There's a lot of doubt on a lot of different versions of the story. And John Leguizamo himself has never really commented on it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, can you imagine just the dynamic of the show if he was put into the show, though? He's such a talent. I love John Leguizamo. I love him, too. He's amazing. But he also is the kind of performer who sucks. He's best when he does a one-man show, I think. Mm. He's never been in an ensemble cast and did well, in my opinion. But if you look at, like... You like Spawn? (laughs) (laughs) Spawn. Actually, you know, I feel like Spawn is better than it gets credit for, but it's still not amazing and right, he's I agree. not the though he's not the strongest link but no, anyway not. um but like if you look at his his solo work like mambo mouth or what is the one he just did uh latin history for uh oh what's the name of I it the name of it, but what are you talking about yeah the, his new the, the it's on netflix look it up it's really good but again he has a really specific cultural viewpoint mm. that i don't know would have fit into in living color back in the day and also he's he's very much a one-man show he does best when he just riffs on his own even house of buggin wasn't that good because he doesn't know how to work with people <laughs> Hmm. I mean, I because I was I tried to watch House of Buggin, but it wasn't the same kind of thing, and then it turned into Mad TV anyway. So right, yeah, mm-hmm. which we'll get to a little bit later yeah. too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when the pilot was presented to Fox in 1989, everyone loved it, but there was a fear of pushback, not from whites, but from black people. Mm-hmm. And the pilot was shelved for six months. Yep. Uh, Tamara Rawit, a writer and producer for the show, secretly slipped the pilot to Details Magazine, where they published a piece asking why the show wasn't put out. And that was kind of the nudge that finally made Fox blink. And the show wound up to be a big hit for Fox. The Nielsen rating for the show for the first two seasons was about a 10. For comparison, as popular as Chappelle's show was, it averaged in the mid to high eights. 
Well, okay, but you have to realize it's a different... You can't really compare metrics because when In Living Color came out was before we had things like Netflix and streaming services. Ratings meant something really different. So even though, so Chappelle's show, nothing gets the ratings it used to get back in the day. I'm just, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if Chappelle's show, like I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about Key and Peele's mm-hmm. ratings. I think yeah. that applies there. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think with Chappelle's show, mm-hmm. that kind of preceded this It streaming. did to an extent. To yeah. an extent. You're right. But it's still... But at that point, things were beginning to change, to, to change. and I don't know that you can really compare them at. Okay. Also, because Chappelle was cable, also true. So cable true. T- and in Living Color was network. Sure. So that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he and Pill were in the high sevens, but of course, as she said, you can't mm-hmm. really compare that. But the biggest shows in 1990 at the time mm-hmm. were Roseanne and Cheers, which hit 21 and 20 respectively. Mm-hmm. I think. The first thing you notice upon rewatching this show, especially considering that there hasn't been another show quite like it since, is just how unapologetically black it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it kind of and kind of not. It's funny because that was another source of debate behind the scenes. True. Okay. Most of the writers were white. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. And um, Keenan had a policy apparently in the writers' room that something had to be funny before it was black. So people were always pitching things that were more like socially aware or like more about blackness. But he was like, no, it needs to be funny first. So one of the other writers refers to him as a comedy populist. He wouldn't okay something unless the humor was the most important thing. He didn't necessarily want something to be on the show just because it was black. Now, because the majority of the performers were black and because all of the performers were also writing sketches and creating characters, it comes across as unapologetically black. But I don't know that that was how anybody necessi- working on it necessarily perceived it. There was kind of a tension there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It was black because it was black, but not because it was trying to be. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I think what I was mainly referring to when I when mm-hmm. I just first turned on, because mm-hmm. you know I re-downloaded the season mm-hmm. or the whole sh- series, mm-hmm. And first you have the opening, which has that that booming theme, mm-hmm. the color, which is so different from SNL, which is mm-hmm. like, you know, it was jazzy, it was yeah. cool, but, you know, yeah, but it's very, there's these yeah. people. It's very it, white pre- New York pre- jazz. Prestigious, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it cuts to the Fly Girls, mm-hmm. and Sean Wayans is DJing, and mm-hmm. Keenan steps out, always geared up. Yeah. You know, sometimes in more mm-hmm. Afrocentric attire. Mm-hmm. Uh, between the sketches, the fly girls are dancing to short dance choreography. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Rosie Perez for mm-hmm. the, the choreography. And then even when you know the cast sees everyone off at the end of the show, they sometimes wear clothes in solidarity for movements. Totally. Or possibly think, like a black yeah. designer they want yeah. to promote. But, I yeah. think in the landscape of TV at the time, it was super black. Like oh, yeah. I remember being a kid and watching it. I wasn't supposed to, but there was a place in my house I could hide and watch TV when the adults were watching it, so I did often. So I saw a lot of these shows when they were first run when I was an elementary school student. But um, the So I think in the landscape of everything else, when you compare it to like Roseanne or Cheers, but it really started something because I think everything... That was a really special time in media, especially in black cultural media. Sure. Because I th- And I think In Living Color was at the forefront of it because... You know, five years later, you had Fresh Prince, you had Martin, you had all of these other kind of specifically black cultural shows. Mm. Mm-hmm. Living Single was what? Yeah, Living Single. That's later? right. Yeah, Living Single was out. Ninety three. Um, yeah, there were a bunch of different shows. There was, you know, Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper, Mark Curry, used to actually open for the show. He'd have to do like these epic stand-up sets because they always would 
because um, when so for In Living Color, mm-hmm. they filmed it in front of a studio audience, but they were always like on extreme CP time. They'd sometimes film till two or three in the morning. So they'd have a comedian like come out and like warm up the audience. So it would often was in the first couple seasons, it was Mark Curry. And wow, he would just no like, yeah, and he would just have to do these like two hour long sets and like just string the audience along forever. But they but people were so into the show that they didn't complain. They would literally stay until three, four in the morning like ready to watch the show, just to watch them film the show. And they would film it twice. Like every sketch you see, they do two takes of. And the first would be like the vanilla take. And the second, they would like improv and like try to throw each other off. Wow. So people were literally sitting watching all of that be filmed twice in a row, three hours late. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. that's wild. But a lot of people got their start. That's, I guess, why I brought up Mark Curry. A lot of people got their start. People who became kind of black cultural media figures mm-hmm. got their start there. So Mark Curry got his start there. He helmed hanging to mr cooper then you had you know a family matters all of those it was kind of the beginning of all of that in a lot of ways wow mm-hmm. i lost my train of thought sorry no that was good mm-hmm. you said something that i was like about to oh it's interesting that you also said that you had kind of had to sneak to watch this show because mm-hmm. jack zilla last week talked about mm-hmm. that too yeah and you're both you're both a little older than i am yeah my mom did not care really? my mom and dad did not care really? and so much so that to me mm-hmm. Living Color was the default sketch show. Like mm. I never, I didn't watch Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. seriously or regularly until I think I hit maybe the very end of middle school, mm-hmm. early high school. But Living Color was my show. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. Mm. I saw that as normal mm-hmm. when I watched it every week. Mm. No Interesting. problem. Yeah, I watched a lot of comedy as a kid and just growing up. And uh, but there were certain things we were allowed to watch and certain things we sure, weren't. Sure. I, you know. I come from a bougie black family. So, you know, we had kind of certain metrics. Um, But yeah, so like I remember sitting and watching Bill Cosby himself, Mm -hmm. which has not aged as well as it should have, unfortunately, with my parents when I was a really little kid and everybody watching and laughing together. But In Living Color was off limits. Sometimes we were allowed to watch it, but if the adults remembered we were in the room, we'd get banished. And I would sit at the top of the stairs and peek through the banister so I could see, because I couldn't actually even see the TV. I would look to watch because it would, the TV was in a place where it reflected perfectly off of the the, the sliding glass doors that led to the patio. Okay. So I would like watch it reflected on the sliding glass doors so I could hear it, but I couldn't see it. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I had like a whole system of how to like sneak and watch in living color. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then it was in reruns forever. So right. I, I mean, by the time it was in reruns, I was allowed to watch it. No problem. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. It's funny though. because So that's your default. Do you remember watching any other comedy stuff? I mean, I guess SNL and In Living Color were the two sketch shows for a long time. In mm. 1990, when this show premiered, I was four. Mm. So I remember, it's kind of like when I was talking on the last show about mm-hmm. listening to songs for the first time. Yeah. It's like, I can't remember details, but mm-hmm. you can remember the vibe of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely remember kind of like rewatching it again. I'm like, yeah, I remember so you were seeing watching this. So you were like four? Like, wow. Four, okay. five, six. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. mom and dad would just kind of yeah, have sure. us around. And... Yeah, sure, I guess. Yeah, because you probably at that point, it's because you, you, you were too young to get a lot of the jokes. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And too young to be left by myself. All right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. I would have been 10, 9 or 10. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I probably mm-hmm. was just playing with, you mm-hmm. know, Transformers on the floor while my mom and dad were laughing. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I would glance up every once in a while and peep it but again once i got a little bit older like i definitely remember the season three opener Mm -hmm. and stuff as a kid really oh okay for sure interesting 
Anyway, let's go. Yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, for those who don't know, yeah, this show tackled racism, stereotypes, uh, black cultural figures that you would have probably never seen on the likes of SNL. Mm-hmm. It was sometimes political. The, the The first season was happening during the Gulf War, and there were anti-war protests and a few of the dance numbers even. That, were really, that was really cool. The show introduced characters like Homie the Clown, mm-hmm. Blaine Edwards and Anti Mayweather, the Men On guys, Jim Carrey's Vera DeMilo, mm-hmm. Anton Jackson, the Homeboy Shopping Network, Arsenio Hall parodies, Calhoun Tubbs, mm-hmm. Blue Singer, Amelita Boutrell, the Gossiping Neighbor and Fire Marshal Bill, probably Jim Carrey's most famous character. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I thought going into this show, I would see Jim Carrey kind of blow everyone away be- because after his movies took off, he became an idol of mine. Mm-hmm. I think he held his own, mm-hmm. but you could de- and you could definitely see the potential. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like his signature characters like really did it for me. Mm. There was one I really liked, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, but honestly, like Fire Marshal Bill, upon watching again didn't do it for me mm. Verda Milo was kind of it mm. it leaned into gross mm. like definitely as, as he was yeah. like spitting a lot and it yeah. didn't really do it for me yeah well I think I think what that demonstrates is that in living color was very much a product of its time and you know uh, I was watching some video essay I don't remember by who now about the idea that you know comedy doesn't age well but that's part of its charm and I don't think everything on Unliving Color has aged well. You mentioned it I on agree. film. Hasn't aged well, but at the time it was revolutionary and it was seen as coming from a place of real love. Where I mean, I knew those, the, the men that, that, that David Allen Greer and Damon Wayans portray in the Men On sketch are the kind of gay men I remember growing up around when I was a little kid. Like the kind of gay men I knew when I first even understood what gay was. Mm-hmm. And they loved it because they were seeing maybe not an accurate representation, but a representation on screen so it was I mean there apparently I was asking an older friend of mine and he said that there were bars that would hold a men on night at the at the gay bar just like just showing that piece of that piece of the show like all of those clips together just for one night and people would really be into it because it was something it was black gayness on screen which was unheard of right I remember Mm -hmm. I remember I watched a uh it was like a 25 year later mm-hmm. retrospective with the, the big interview. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I think I saw that. Uh, was it at South by Southwest or it was at, at some? It was, it was at some special of, yeah. festival. Mm-hmm. I forget. Yeah, there were a couple of them. Yeah, but the question was asked by the interviewer, a mm-hmm. black woman, about how they feel about middle film now. Mm-hmm. And I know Keenan kind of he was a little mm-hmm. bit resistant to mm-hmm. criticize it, but I know I think David Allen Greer kind of mm-hmm. cut in and was like, "Oh, you know, we would it would be better yeah. to have." gay men do this yeah. themselves. Yeah, and... exactly. He says, that, well, now that they, yeah, I remember seeing that. He said, maybe now you'd have a gay cast member. Right. You'd have different people in the cast, but at the time they worked with what they had. And I think they, in another interview, they made the really good point that they did, they tried to do it out of a place of love. Now, love is not the same as understanding. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. But they really didn't, they weren't trying to be malicious malicious at all. They were really trying to do it out of a place of love to represent people that they knew. So, yeah. And I never mm-hmm. felt that watching the show. Totally. I mm-hmm. still, personally, I still think it's funny today. Mm-hmm. I understand it's problematic. Yeah. I, it, it was an uncomfortable mm-hmm. laughter. Well, you know, something can be funny and problematic at the same time. Sure. You can have something that's funny and offensive at the same time. And I think that that's very much the case with that sketch. But, Jim Car- going back to Jim Carrey, I mm-hmm. think Jim Carrey's characters 
were weird and hilarious at the time. He was this white guy on a black show being very white. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think anybody was expecting that, number one. And then I just think that that kind of physical comedy, if you've ever seen any of his old interviews or any of his old stand-up sets on like The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, things like that. No. That was very much his style. He just did a lot of really weird physical stick. Are you going to talk about how the cast members met each other later? No. Okay, then I'll drop this here. Uh, I was mentioning to you before we started recording the show about how Jim Carrey even got involved. He and Damon Wayans were really good friends. They were in a movie together, but they Earth Girls Earth Are Easy, Easy with Jeff Goldblum. That is a weird movie to watch now. Have you ever seen it? I remember it came on Comedy Central all the time, but I don't yeah. really watch yeah, it like it's that. It's a no. strange, strange movie Because they were to watch. aliens, right? Yeah, they were. And Jim Carrey is a blonde surfer guy it just it's so strange it's a weird movie it's a lot of fun to watch but it's so strange with jeff goldblum of all people and is it gina davis that sounds familiar i I I want to say yes yeah yeah it is gina davis anyway point being they were in that movie together but they knew each other before then because they were both kind of known as angry comics in their circles so they were they were doing a lot of comedy at the same places and they had interest they both did characters in their stand-up that were kind of mirror images of each other so Damon Wayans would do this like very angry black man who would come out and like hotep what we would call now hotep but like racially abuse all the white people in the audience because he was such a strong black man revolutionary and he'd like you know call people names and do like this whole act and Jim Carrey had a character who was like this angry white racist who would use like crazy racial slurs and do to make the audience uncomfortable. Wow. Yeah. So they had like these mirror image characters that they were kind of that that kind of played off each other. They didn't do them together, but they did them individually in their stand up. And I think that they both had kind of the same vibe in terms of their style. So they were really good friends. So that's how Jim Carrey even got brought in. But he didn't want to do it at first. They really wanted him and it took a long time for them to actually get him to join the show because he wasn't sure. I've always been fascinated with Jim Carrey as a part of In Living Color because he got so famous after Mm -hmm. and because he doesn't seem to have any connection to black culture other than In Living Color. Like he hasn't done anything. You know, there are some white people in in Hollywood who are very connected to black culture, like Mm -hmm. that guy who plays uh, Tommy on Power or like Gary. What's the, the guy who looks like him? Gary Owen, the comedian. Like there are some black people in Hollywood who have like a definite connection to black culture and that's kind of what they're in. You know, they're like Gary Owen is in Kevin Hart movies, that kind of thing. Sure. But Jim Carrey got his like kind of got his first real taste of shine on a black show, but he's never really seemed to have any connection to black culture. And he gave an interview about it years ago now where somebody asked him point blank, like, was the reason you didn't want to be on In Living Color because it was a racial thing? And he was like. He he seemed genuinely dumbfounded by the question. And he said something to the effect of, no, just Damon and Keenan were the best comedians I knew. And I just wanted to be on the show. <laughs> it just it was it was some issue of contracts and like trying to get the right amount of money. Right. So he seems like the kind of guy who just really just wants to be where he thinks the, the, the best thing is. Sure. But he doesn't he really doesn't seem to have any connect, which has always been interesting to me. Sure. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Sorry. That was a bit. Run on if you want to cut that up. No, no, I thought it was, no, yeah. it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have anything to say about it. I don't, I don't oh, have okay. anything to, to but, say. But I mean, haven't you ever been? Have you ever? Haven't you ever been curious about that? Like, how? Why does? What is? What was Jim Carrey doing there? You know, he's like this ultra white, poor. He's like a basically poor white Canadian dude, and he just kind of wound up on a living color of all places. I mean, I think for Keenan too, he just wanted the best, mm-hmm. and 
even though, like I said, he didn't blow anyone out the water, mm-hmm. phys- his physical comedy, there's no one else who mm-hmm. who was like him at the time. And that's right. why, again, he was one of my favorites growing mm-hmm. up in the movies mm-hmm. but you could you could see the the potential mm-hmm. there was a it's a funny story i don't know if you read this in the book but apparently him and keenan almost got into a fight in the yeah. writer's room mm-hmm. and apparently he turned around and talked through his butt yeah in the, in the mm-hmm. meeting that's kind of where the legendary part of ace ventura right yeah was mm-hmm. born yeah because keenan was apparently a taskmaster like nobody liked working for him it was like apparently a really toxic atmosphere backstage which well, there, we'll get there, into there are folks who worshipped him and folks who like hated him apparently it was no, there, like no, a mix. The, well the stories i've heard it, the, even the word the people who worshipped him they, they were it was a fearful worship <laughs> like apparently it was a really toxic environment and not everybody was was cut out for it and jim carrey was just beginning to kind of become the star mm-hmm. like he was just kind of people he was really getting a lot of love and just he was tired of dealing with keenan apparently keenan never laughed at anybody like if you could get him to laugh it was like getting god to laugh right huh like he never he would never laugh he would say oh that's funny and then like move on so if you heard oh that's funny then you knew your sketch was on huh he didn't laugh so i mean and could you imagine comedians are deeply needy like i used to do comedy right and comedians are deeply needy messy people maybe i'm telling on myself but okay. <laughs> comedians are often deeply needy messy people who really need approval and who have you know a lot of especially stand-ups often have crazy psychological stuff going on and really stand-up is how you get approval a lot of times telling jokes is often how you get approval that you need and I can just imagine that if you're a stand-up and you're pitching your ideas to this guy who doesn't even laugh, he just kind of says, oh, that's funny, next. It must be soul-crushing. That's kind of hurt. Mm-hmm. That's your whole life you're putting yeah. into this thing. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And you've got to do it. So they were pitching twice a week and then they were recording once a week. So that's a lot of work. Like they were working crazy hours. Yeah. Speaking of Jim Carrey, in The Hollywood Reporter, there was a, they had an interview and he talked about some sketches that didn't make it on the air. Have mm-hmm. you Have you heard about these? Probably. Yeah, keep going. There was one about an abortion rally ventriloquist, mm-hmm. a sketch called Make a Death Wish Foundation about a dead kid whose posthumous wish was to go to an amusement park. And apparently that's where the fire marshal bill phase came from, that unaired sketch. Mm. There was a, a one-off about, it was, remember the old perfume and cologne commercials, like Obsession? And they yeah. they like they did a one off called oppression. Yeah, I remember that. That was actually really funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. and apparently they shot it for the pilot, but never mm-hmm. it didn't air until like later on. A lot of stuff was like that. They shot the originally the show was supposed to be an hour long, so mm-hmm. they shot like loads of stuff for the pilot that they just kind of slowly slipped into the season over the course of the first two seasons. Really, there's one I really want to talk about mm-hmm. later on. Okay, I want to talk about the censors a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this is where we start to get into the into the drama of the show. To quote Keenan Ivory Wayans here, he said, I knew there were restrictions. It was more about how far can I go? Like, just tell me where the line is. The frustration was that the line was moved week to week. So you could do something one week, but if they got mail, you couldn't do it the next. We were constantly in that dance. And so what I thought was really funny was for shows like Hey Mon, mm-hmm. they put in Jamaican swear words mm-hmm. because the white censors at Fox had no idea what they meant. And this reminds me of uh, South Park when they did their Pokemon parody. Do you know this story? Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, uh, South Park did a 
Pokemon parody a long time ago, and instead of having Pokemon in the show, they had Chinpokemon. And Chinpo is a slang word for penis, so essentially Chinpokemon meant dick monsters. Mm-hmm. And the censors had no idea mm-hmm. what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, yeah, they used to play that game a lot. But uh, apparently also they used to sometimes, because they were really relying on the fact that the censors knew nothing about black culture. Right. So they used to make up fake slang and use it in a sketch and like the uh so Keenan would tell everybody okay so when you say this even though it means nothing laugh really loud so that everybody thinks it's gross and the censors make us cut it and then we can use the real word right so they used to do that all the time too that's wild that's yeah. hilarious one of the turning points of this show was in 1992 there was a live broadcast of men on football mm-hmm. during the super bowl halftime show do you know what's wild about this i hadn't really thought of it before but that Super Bowl halftime show is why we have, like, the Super Bowl halftime shows we have now. You're absolutely correct. Like, I had never really thought about it, but I was looking, like, what was the Super Bowl halftime show that year, only to find out it there wasn't really one. Right. Yeah. Be- before that, it was just mm-hmm. marching bands and yeah, cheerleaders. Yeah, And the next year, they hired Michael Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And do you know who wrote that sketch? No. Who wrote it? Larry Wilmore. Oh, yeah. Him Legendary and his brother were both. Larry yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, his brother was on the fifth season, right? Uh, his brother was on the fifth season, but he was a writer the whole time. Right. Yeah, well, right. maybe from the third season on murder, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Him and his brother look nothing alike, by the way. Similar. I can see a little mm-hmm. bit in there, but really? they are different. Yeah. Definitely okay. different, okay. but I can mm-hmm. I can see some similarities yeah. there. We got to talk about how the characters had actual arcs with cliffhangers. Mm. Near the end of season two... Homie the Clown, for those who don't know, he is a bitter black man who is a part of the prison reform mm-hmm. system and has to pretty much be this clown for, what, five years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> but, he absolutely hates it and everything else about life. Pretty much. He's uh, where the saying, homie, don't play that come from. Exactly. So mm-hmm. He gets a proposition to sell out and his kid fan calls him out. And there's like this to be continued bit. Mm-hmm. And a minute on film, Blaine, his character gets hit on the head with the, the a stage prop and mm-hmm. he becomes heterosexual. And he's like, whoa, 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 what's all this what's mm-hmm. all this stuff? And, and he becomes like stereotypically heterosexual yes, at that. So, yes. Yeah. So, and these stories don't get resolved until a few episodes into season three. So you, yeah. so you had to wait a long time mm-hmm. to get a resolution. And I totally forgot about that watching it mm-hmm. uh, the, the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another sketch on SNL or Matt TV that I've ever done something like that before. It seems, it seems like everything gets kind of wrapped up by the end of that segment. Usually, yeah. Hmm, yeah, thinking about it, yeah, yeah. Especially crossing a season. Like maybe like the next week mm-hmm. something will happen, but right, across yeah. the season? Right, yeah. We got to talk about the season three theme, which is such a How banger. You live it? Mm. How you live it? I can't think of too many live-action TV shows that bump like that. Yeah. Like, The Fresh Prince and The Living Single could bump mm-hmm. in the whip, sure, but they don't bang like... I just love that energy. Right. Like, it really felt like, like an expansion of the show. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. I just YouTube that theme just because mm-hmm. it's so good. The presence of hip-hop on the show, now that's where I think it was definitely unapologetically a lot. Because just the... 
the people they got to perform. There's a whole lot of folk who you never hear from again. Like the very first hip hop. Did you peep the very first hip hop live hip hop performance on the show at the end of season one? Queen Latifah. Uh, no, Def Jeff. Okay. Yeah. Who? Exactly. Queen Latifah came after, okay. but they almost didn't get Queen Latifah because apparently Rosie Perez was in charge of finding the uh, the people to perform. Okay. And Def Jeff was who she could get at short, short notice. Uh, and nobody knew who he was. It kind of died. But then she got Queen Latifah next. And that was what opened the gateway for that to be a thing. But yeah, it's interesting because it really is like a time capsule of hip hop culture at the time. It was so different it was so different like there really was something magical about that time period in black culture i'm really happy that that's the decade that shaped my tastes you know i really am glad that that's when i sort of came of age as a black woman because there was just a positivity to it that i feel is not necessary now it was not without its problematic issues but i think the overwhelming vibe was one of positivity and trying to do better be better for ourselves you know kind of very fubu so yeah I just want to go through a quick list of people who performed that show. Mm-hmm. Of course, we already mentioned Queen Latifah. Mm-hmm. Of course, Heavy D performed live uh, the song. Mm-hmm. You had Public Enemy, of course. Mm-hmm. Criss Cross, In Vogue, Easy mm-hmm. e Moni Love, mm-hmm. Onyx, Third Base, MC Light, Arrested Development, mm-hmm. Jodeci, Mary J. Blige, Tupac, mm-hmm. Gangstar, The Far Side, Diggable Planets. I love them. Mm-hmm. T.P. Rock and Seal Smooth, Red Man. Naughty yeah, by Nature, wow. Lords of the Underground, A Tribe Called Quest, mm-hmm. and of course, Leaders of the New School. Right, with Busta Rhymes. With Busta Rhymes, a very young yeah. Busta Rhymes. Yes, who? but he was, you could, if you look at Busta now, it's hard to see, it's hard to see the appeal, but Busta, but Busta was the top of his game He's for awesome. so long. I mean, even when he was young like that, I mean, he just had such a presence where you were into what he was talking about, yeah? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mary J. Blige one is a, personal favorite i think she was on the show more than once actually a couple were i know Mm -hmm. leaders of the new school were on there at least more than once but there's one performance that she did where she just comes out and sings acapella and it's just dope yeah Hmm. yeah but i mean it was just that was it was such it was really of its time in the best possible way in that way totally yeah the musical parodies also were pretty good. I mean, I have to admit, some of them were. Or, that's what those favorites? are. Well, those are some of my favorite ones to watch. Uh, Tommy Davidson is MC Hammer. Oh, 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 oh! Yeah, exactly. Got, Getting stuck in his, his pants. pants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Jim Carrey, surprisingly, as uh, Vanilla Ice. This white, dude is white, 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 white baby. baby. Yes, and the fact that he did this, I love when people can laugh at themselves. And he, re- I mean, he really is in on the joke, and he does a good job. He totally. did a later parody of Snow's Informer that wasn't amazing yeah. but it was still you know he's in on the joke and I like that um, Kim Wayans I feel like she's kind of the unsung hero of the show she really didn't get nearly she really I mean I feel like she deserved a lot more love She, she's directing now and she's in a couple of things that have been interesting but mm-hmm. you know just she was awesome uh, her Crystal Waters par- uh, parody where she's like doing the Flintstones theme song and whatnot. Yabba dabba doo, yabba dabba. Yeah, just that's hilarious. That was great. I um, loved her Grace mm-hmm. Jones character. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. She was just, she was funny. Like she was really funny. And it's funny because out of that whole family, she's the one who had all of the formal theater training and formal acting and singing and whatnot. And really? she was the one who always wanted to be a star. The rest of them kind of got into comedy because they because they did but she was the one who always little magic is based on her as a kid oh wow yeah like she always wanted to be like uh in the performing arts and it's funny because she's kind of the one who disappeared into the background and i right, really feel exactly. like that's unfair yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree she was kind of the way in sister it's not fair mm-hmm. huh okay we're gonna take a break and then we'll come back with some more on in living color 
Are you enjoying this show so far? You know, I've had a few folks come up to me and they ask, Oh, Brendan, how can I get into podcasting? I hear your podcast and it makes me want to try it too. I'm glad you asked. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, A-N-C-H-O-R period F-M to get started. Well, all good things must end. Mm-hmm. And so now we're going to start getting into a little bit of the drama here. Mm-hmm. Keenan Ivory Wayne stopped appearing in sketches in 1992. After the end of the third season, over disputes with Fox about the network censoring the show's content and rerunning early episodes without his consent, he feared that Fox would decrease the syndication value of In Living Color. Mm-hmm. And by season four, have you rewatched season four? Have you... So season four is crazy to me. It is, yeah. Because they had Damon Wayans come back as a guest star. So he was filming his stuff separately. Right. So it wasn't even really a part of the flow of the show. And there were all these extra people. It was weird. It was really weird. Yeah. Keenan's opening monologue was emblematic of how crazy it got. Because by that time, he had cut all his hair off. Mm -hmm. And he came out looking like a Hong Kong movie villain with a black suit and sunglasses on. Right. And he introduced the new people, including Marlon Wayans, mm-hmm. and then gets to the old cast to come out and mm-hmm. says they're so obnoxious that they won't let him have his moment. And when the music starts and the dancers start dancing again, everyone's dancing on the stage mm-hmm. and he just walks off. Yeah. Never to be seen again, again on the show. Yeah, exactly. He was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so wild to see. Yeah, but there was so much backstage drama. Mm-hmm. I, and to be fair, I can kind of see it because the thing is, Keenan never stopped wanting to make movies. And he was starting to make some movies that could or couldn't have made him a star he had dropped several movie deals to keep working on the show Mm -hmm. and they kept messing around about the money and Damon Wayans had already left the show and then they called him back because when he left he took all his characters with him so they were out of stuff to do and they didn't have anybody new with that same charisma or that same kind of uh, ability so when they called him back they were paying him something ridiculous it was something like 75,000 don't quote me on that but it was a lot of money per episode to shoot sketches separately that were then cut into the show later. Huh. Yeah, so he wasn't even really a part of the primary cast. He was doing all of his shooting separately. And then in the meantime, they're messing about his brother on the money, on the syndication, and he's dropping other opportunities. And he wound up becoming a really good writer and doing that, but he... I don't know. I mean, I can see where he was coming from, from a business perspective. It sure. was definitely about the business more than it was about the creativity. Because if he had stayed, he would have been able to kind of muscle it back into shape. Right. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. The bad thing is that you can kind of tell if you look at season four is that the, the his remaining family members are kind of phoning it in. They were stuck under contract. They right. couldn't just leave. Right. The ones who could leave did. But the ones who were stuck, they're kind of phoning it in the whole season, and you can see that. They're like, yeah, whatever. So yeah. I have a quote. I actually have a quote about that. Mm-hmm. Marlon left shortly after Keenan resigned, and Damon was gone, as you said. Mm-hmm. But Sean Williams said, Kim and I were contractually obligated to be there the last season, and mm-hmm. it was hell. Mm-hmm. I knew we were on the Titanic without the captain, and the iceberg was up ahead, and I was shackled to the banister. 
Not one sketch would work without Keenan's touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to its credit, it's still funny, but it's not as funny. And it's not as cohesive or on point, you know? Like, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that Keenan wanted everything to be funny first. Because you do get a couple of sketches pushed through that are sort of statement sketches or it's just somebody's pet idea. And you can tell it's not that it's not as interesting. He was kind of like that that Kevin Feige. Kind of that. Yeah. Yeah, he totally was. He really was. Mm-hmm. Totally. Can you imagine if this drama came out during the social media era, like we were watching this show live and all this was happening behind the scenes? To be fair, with the writers who were behind the scenes... Like I said, all of it was mostly white writers, and they got called out by Spike Lee for for having these white writers writing about black people. He was pissed off about his portrayal on the show, Um, especially since he was literally from the next block over (laughs) from the Wayans. He was like, you couldn't call me first. Right. But um, they would have been canceled long before it even got to the drama point. I mean, they had people like Robert Schimmel working. Do you know Robert? who Robert Schimmel is? He was kind of a comedian's comedian. He put out a lot of albums. He... He had a lot. He had a really tragic life in a lot of ways. He wound up dying in a car accident where his daughter was driving the car, um, like it had a head-on collision, and she survived and he didn't. But he was, he put out a lot of comedy albums. And if you listen to five minutes of one of his comedy albums, and then you realize that he was a writer on In Living Color for years, you just think, how did he not get his ass kicked on the daily? He's such a blue comedian. And he's so inappropriate and racialicious that like how and then to be frank, even Jim Carrey, like a lot of the stuff he did really pushed the envelope. A lot of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes with him, because, again, I get the impression he was very much a guy who didn't occasionally you do get folks who really just don't care about race. But that doesn't mean you're not shaped by what's around you. Right. Sure. I don't get the impression it was ever an issue for him, but he probably didn't know where to stop pushing certain envelopes either. You know, interesting. Do you yeah. have an example of what he did? Well, I mean, just some of the some of the characters he did, I can imagine. And then just some of his he he really wasn't getting along great with Keenan the last season at all. Hence the whole like talking out of the butt thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But the interesting thing for me is that you can see clearly in the show when it changes from we're all friends. We really love being here. We all get along to this is my job give me my check (laughs) totally in between season two and three there was a shift yes yes totally and it sucks Mm because that that song was so great Mm -hmm. and i was like ready for greatness Mm -hmm. i even i forgot all about that shift Mm -hmm. so when i saw when i was finally ready to go to season three i'm like yes Mm -hmm. here we are and Mm -hmm. then i was like huh okay this is is, yeah they were kind of dragging it out yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. well let's get away from the the bad news Mm -hmm. and let's get to stuff that we love let's talk about our favorite characters sketches recurring one-offs etc mm-hmm. okay you want to start off nope you first okay mm-hmm. i want to start off actually with my favorite one-offs mm-hmm. and i have two in particular mm-hmm. i may have three i think i forgot it though but definitely my first one comes from an- another black woman who didn't really get a lot of um she was kind of like i don't say an unsung hero but she was definitely really cool and that was takia crystal Kima, she was Kima? here last year. She did a work. She did an actors workshop here in Seoul. Yeah, in Seoul. Wow. Yeah, last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, I didn't get to go. Me. I was really sick, so oh, I didn't okay. go. But yeah, but yeah, I was. Yeah, apparently it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
But she, she had some shine. She was on That's So Raven, I think. Okay. Yeah, as the mom. She's kind of had, you know, she was on a couple of different shows. I mean, she, she's yeah. done things, but yeah. mm-hmm. she didn't take off like everyone else. Right, so okay. Yeah, that's true. I, to be fair, though, none of the black women on the show did. Yeah. None of the women on the show did, full stop. True. Yeah. I mean, the one woman who's probably the most famous from In Living Color is Jennifer Lopez. Right. And interestingly enough, she's the only one who never talks about it. When I was reading this book, at the end of the book, there's this long list of all the interviews he did, and he literally interviewed everybody living who was ever affiliated. The, the list is like 100 people long. Mm-hmm. He got all of the main primary cast members, all the writers. He spent days with Keenan, days with Jimmy. He interviewed everybody. But the one person who declined an interview, Jennifer Lopez. Interesting. Yeah, she retrospective. I don't get the impression she was very well liked. What people say about her isn't particularly positive, both in the book and just in other sources as well. Like Nobody was all that impressed by her. Um, she kind of... She kind of, uh, I don't know. She just nobody, the, nobody wanted her there, but Keenan. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a contest to find out who the new fly girl would be, and then at the end of the contest, the fly girls would choose among the selections, and it came down to her and another girl, and the fly girls all chose the other girl. So they put her. So Jennifer Lopez was put under a holding deal for a year with Fox, right? And just so that w- secretly just so that whenever somebody left, she would get the next fly girl spot. Wow. So she kind of backdoored her way in, and then she didn't get along with Rosie Perez at all. Like, there was just, apparently, they were, at one point, they were, like, fighting in the parking lot. Like, there was a lot of drama surrounding her, which is probably why she doesn't want to talk about it now. That's fair. Oh, yeah. interesting. Anyway, yes, keep going. But, yeah, none of the women from In Living Color really got the shine I think they deserved. No, There's yeah. no famous woman from In Living Color. True. And there should have been. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my my favorite from her was mm-hmm. Black World. Yes. And she does this sweet solo performance as a young black girl imagining an Afrocentric utopia. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that could have been a recurring sketch. Mm-hmm. It's the only sketch I remember that had heart. Mm-hmm. All the other sketches mm-hmm. were kind of done just for the laughs. Yeah. But hers was really had sweet. that extra yeah that sweetness mm-hmm. to it that I really really liked. And now. It's time for Black World! Yeah! And, and Black World, all the black people have the money. And, and, and your mother doesn't have to um, sit and stay up in the theater and clean up late at night while you have to sit and wait and be quiet and, and then you're sleepy. And then, and then when you go to school, um, it's, it's no rats in the corner and no mice either. And the books are brand new and they have pictures of black people in Oh, oh, and all your dolls are black, and and not no black bob either, but a real black doll with with black people hair and a black nose, and her name is um, and her name is Lawana, and, and oh, oh, and, and when you go to the store, um, the white people don't follow you around and ask you if you have some money, like they know you don't have any money because your mother didn't give you any money because she not having money, cause, and then because they they not there anyway, cause. Because the black people own the store and they are nice to you. And the white people, they, I don't know where they are. They, they, they must be um, back in white world. Yeah. Crazy trivia. That was her audition for the show. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was how she got picked for the show. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. And my number two is The Wrath of Farrakhan. <laughs> this is from episode two of the first season and 
it's the first crazy crossover sketch mm-hmm. that I had to pause. Like, wow, like they really did this in 1990. Yeah, they really went for some things. <laughs> yeah. Jim Carrey gets to play his first kind of major role as uh, Captain Kirk, and he hams it up. Mm-hmm. But Damon Wayans, and, you know, for the record, I think Damon Wayans, again, is, is the MVP of this show. Mm. Damon Wayans boarding the Enterprise as Louis Farrakhan mm-hmm. and taking over the ship was hilarious. Captain, intruders are approaching the bridge, sir. Who are you? I am the Minister Louis Farrakhan. Spock? Spock, who is he? A former Calypso singer, Captain, who later became leader of a 20th century African-American religious sect known as the Nation of Islam. You'd like to buy some incense? Bean pie, my brother? No, thank you. What do you want? I've come to warn your crew. Warn your your crew. crew. Of their enslavement. Enslavement? Aboard this vessel. Mm -hmm. That's... Poppycock, these people are perfectly free to do anything they like. It is that same lie that kept Elvis the king, that made that poor child Latoya Jackson think she could sing. It is that same lie that's got white boys rapping and the fat boys acting. Hey, mister, you can't come in here and talk to me like that. Ahura, get me Starfleet Command. Yes, Captain. Oh, my Nubian princess. How long have you placed his cause? I watch the show every week, and all I see is the back of your nappy wig. Ahura, Starfleet, now. Well, wait a second. He's right. I've been sitting here for 15 years with this damn thing in my ear. It ain't got one raise yet. Or your occasional chocolate fantasy? You get up off your flat butt and get Starfleet your damn I hadn't seen such a random crossover. Do you ever watch, do you remember the Mad TV sketch, Malcolm X in the middle? Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, Malcolm, go brush your teeth. What's the matter? They ain't white enough for you. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was wild. Yeah, the Wrath of Farrakhan. His portrayal of Farrakhan would pop up in the most random places, and it was always really funny. Do you remember the sketch he did with David Allen Greer as Al Sharpton that was like a who's on first parody? I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Jews on first. The man is on second. I don't even remember the actual No, that was such a weird sketch. But it was still really funny because it was such a spot-on parody of those two extreme personalities that were kind of... But this was also where you're saying it was very unapologetically black. I think at that point in American culture, there was still a very definite separation between black culture and white culture in terms of what was... Famous and black famous. Yeah, famous and black famous, exactly. And I think that Sharpton and Farrakhan were black famous, but I don't know if the average middle American white family knew who they were. Exactly. Yeah, so... mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite one-offs? Favorite one-offs? Oh, so many. I mean, again, the musical parody sketches, mm-hmm. you know, I've already mentioned White White Baby and Crystal Waters and uh, Can't Touch This, but not really. Um, but also, even later, Marlon Wins. I don't know, I feel like he was kind of an unsung star of the show. He just came into it at such an awkward time, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's easily one of the most, I feel like the talent among the brothers goes Damon, Marlon, then beyond then after that everybody else comes and falls in line but um 
he played Shaba Ranks, Mr. Ugly Man. Shaba. Yeah, that Mr. was really Ugly funny. Man. Yeah, that was really funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was good. Definitely. And then they, I mean, they had just a lot of weird kind of one-off like commercials and things, and those were funny too. True. Mm-hmm. Let's go to our favorite recurring characters. Mm-hmm. We already talked about men on film. It's problematic, but Abe was still funny to mm-hmm. me. Heyman, mm-hmm. the West Indian family. Always talking about having 20,000 jobs. With the world's worst Jamaican accents. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. it, what killed me was that somebody else was supposed to be in that sketch originally, but apparently they couldn't do a Jamaican accent. And I'm like, neither no, could no, anybody no. else. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Homie the Clown, of course. Mm. All right, little children, gather around. My belt is falling. <laughs> that means it's time to sing Christmas carols. Yeah! Repeat after me. Silent night. Silent night. Homies night. Homies night. All was calm. All was calm. All was bright. Bright like that light that this cop shined in my damn face. He knew I didn't do nothing. Threw me on the floor. Put that damn bitch to Stop beating me like I was a fool. I didn't do it. He knew I didn't do it. He knew it. And y'all ain't singing. That was beautiful. He almost made homie misty-eyed. I said almost. Who actually is not in the show that much retrospectively. Right, like thinking exactly. about it, He only did about a handful of sketches as yeah. Homie the Clown, but he's such an enduring character. I, just, I remember as, as, after episode one, as mm-hmm. soon as he showed up, everyone was just cheering so loud whenever mm-hmm. he showed up. And that's another thing I, I want to talk about, how black the show was, was the audience. Oh, yeah. You can watch SNL and folks will kind of, you know, laugh and sometimes mm-hmm. you get a quick, you know, big little outburst every mm-hmm. once in a while. But this audience was super black. Mm-hmm. There's an anecdote in the book that I read about the show where there uh, apparently somebody was in a production room for another show mm-hmm. and was uh, kind of just hanging out there. And they needed to add a laugh track to the to the um to the sitcom that they were working on in the editing room, and they pulled out a tape of the laughter from an episode of *In Living Color* from the second ep- from the second season of *In Living Color* and used the laugh track from that, like the real laughter from that, as a laugh track for other sitcoms later. Oh wow! Yeah, to edit in. Which ones, you know? I don't remember, but okay. it, but they would use, but that's like kind of exactly how much the audience was into it. Like yes, kind of tells you. Could, you, you could you know, really yeah. feel it. They were really you enjoying totally feel it. it. Mm-hmm. And of course, we talked about. Kim Wayans, Patrice Betrell, mm-hmm. the Neighbor. Betrell, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't don't wait. Talk about yeah. Miss Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And I loved uh, Cephas and Reese. Da- her and David Allen Greer. The singers? And, yeah, the singers, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get into them. I really personally. think they're funny, yeah. I mean, I guess because I used to love those old commercials where they like give you 30 seconds of all these old famous songs, yeah. right? It's just They just tickled me. Honestly, David Allen Greer in general, he... You say Damon Wayans was the MVP, but I think David Allen Greer was really, really oh, funny. Oh, yeah. He was awesome. I mean, come on. Calhoun Tubbs? I think it started off kind of okay. I think he really started to find his groove, mm-hmm. no pun intended, as, a show, <laughs> as the show went on. I liked right. his, when he was at the, the kid's birthday party, that white mm-hmm. kid's birthday party. Oh, yeah. And then when he, like, Jim Carrey was like some- Punk, uh, yeah, punk rocker. No, no, no. He was, he was a politician. Oh. And okay. he did like the campaign, mm-hmm. like music for mm-hmm. his fundraiser. <laughs> but look here, you know what? I always tell the little babies, stay off the junk and you go far. 
See, that's what's so amazing about this man right here. From the minute he took office, he always got himself personally involved in the war on the drugs. He even started his own drug program. Now, you know, I ain't writing no song about that, but I think I could right now. Like the hit, hit go. That senator knows about drugs. He been a dope head for 30 years. decision-making in any way. Now, you know what? Now, I know some of y'all done heard them nasty rumors about the senator running around with other women. But I'm here to tell you, now, I know for a fact that ain't true. That is not true. That senator would never touch no female. Wrote a song about it, like the hit hit do. That senator don't fool around with no women. He prefers men who dress in leather. That's when he started kind of reveal stuff about other people. Mm-hmm. I thought that's when he kind of started to find his groove. Right, definitely. That yeah. was really funny to me. There's the speaking of one-offs. Just to go back quickly, there's a one-off that is so like again of its time, which I don't know if it would be all that funny watching it retrospectively. But there's one where David Allen Greer plays Luther Campbell from Two Live Crew. Okay. And somebody calls him up and asks him, yeah, somebody calls him up and asks him, where's yes. your verse for, for We Are the World? Remember, you've got to keep it clean. Yeah. And that mess is hilarious. Because he he's just trying really hard and he just can't do it. <laughs> yeah. That. Mm-hmm. yeah, that was good. That was really good. Speaking of, of him and uh, Kim uh, Wayans, Mr. and Mrs. Brooks. Mm-hmm. The, oh, gosh, the yeah, they came couple, in a little bit later. Yeah, They, yeah. Were, they mm-hmm. were trying to murder each other all the time and hurt each other. You know but... what's interesting? Kim Wayans and David Allen Greer work together a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. David Allen Greer... Do you know the story behind him? No. He's, again, another serious actor who des- who didn't necessarily get the shine he deserved because he was so attached to this show. Um, so he went to Yale Drama School. He His first actual paid role was nominated for a Tony Award, right? He was he was in the musical about Jackie Robinson. Oh. Starred in it. Wow. And was, that's his, that was his first role ever wow. out of school, right? Like, got nominated for a Tony Award. And then did a couple of other things. He was in he's in a couple of movies here and there. He knew the Wayans. And then he auditioned but he wasn't a comedian. He never was, right? So he auditioned for In Living Color, like, I mean, I guess I'm not a comedian. And he didn't want to do it. But Kim Wayans knew him and called him and was like, please, please. She was who got him to be on the show. Huh. She's like, you're making a mistake. You've got to come out here and be on the show. And he came out and did the pilot. And then, like you said, the pilot, it took six months for it to actually be released anywhere. So Keenan had called everybody and said, I'm sorry, I don't know what's happening. Go do other stuff. Just go continue your careers. Don't wait on this. To the point where uh, Kelly Caulfield, the, the, the token white woman for the first four seasons of the show, um, she was another serious actress from Chicago. And she was back in Chicago in plays and things. She was a theater actress. And he was just telling everybody, go back to work don't worry about it and nobody was ex- by the time it actually got picked up nobody was expecting it to get picked up there were original cast members who didn't return who got cut out of the pilot because they couldn't come back because they were doing other stuff wow none of them are particularly famous now none of them are remembered necessarily they're kind of minor names but yeah mm-hmm. interesting yeah but him and but david allen greer and kim were always in a lot of sketches together but it was because i well not they were because homies. but yeah they were homies yeah got it mm-hmm. just like jim carrey and damon waynes did those preachers together another hilarious recurring I, sketch they're, so their names are mm-hmm. i was gonna get that too ed yes. cash and mm-hmm. carl pathos they're yes. these crooked televangelists yes and that's that's my favorite jim carrey character on the show really yeah i uh-huh. mean Vernon Milo, I didn't. I wasn't really feeling the Fire Marshal Bill, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as far as like recurring characters, mm-hmm. he was my favorite mm-hmm. because 
Damon Wayans was, you know, preaching to everyone to kind of, you know, give them money or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Jim Carrey would kind of like have these kind of like, yes. yeah, yeah, he kind of had, had these like weird outbursts of like what he was yeah. doing. But I mean, and they were so, so they were so on point in regards to what televangelists yes. were doing then. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. totally. Uh, speaking on, on Kelly Caulfield, mm-hmm. I liked her. I don't know the, the name of her character, mm-hmm. but it was the most aesthetically different part of the show where she was in black and white yes. and everyone else was in color and mm-hmm. she was kind of being a more serious actress. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Johnny. And she yeah. was, it was like she was some like gone with, with the wind kind of. Uh, well, more like film noir. Like, okay, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was just at a different time. And everyone's kind of around mm-hmm. her, like, yeah. what is this woman talking about? Yeah, exactly. About? Like, there's the one where Sean Wayans is, climbs in the window to rob her, and she's that was oh, actually Johnny. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie Foxx. Oh, that was Jamie Foxx. That's Fox. right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Speaking of, we haven't even talked about Jamie Foxx. He was kind of a late addition. I want to get to mm-hmm. a character, uh, or mm-hmm. a couple of yeah, his that, that I love. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. She's an interesting one. That whole, her whole aesthetic was interesting also. Totally. Yeah. I loved Arsenio Hall. Keenan uh, yes. Dionisio Hall was hilarious. He was so animated. They had such beef, though. Like, they were always in competition for who was Eddie Murphy's best friend. <laughs> right? Oh, for real? Seriously, like, behind this. Because, again, they all hung out together back in the day. When I was mentioning everybody, all the black comedians knew each other, Arsenio was also a part of that group, like, that group of friends. They all used to sit around in Robert Townsend's living room and, like, make sketches together and, like, film them. And that's actually where a lot of Damon Wayans' characters came from. Yeah. Because he was, like, working fast food or something, and they'd come by and blow everybody out of the water. Um just doing characters on somebody's camcorder in their house. But Arsenio was part of that friend group and there was, it's interesting because they talk about it so differently. Mm -hmm. Keenan, he seems like he, when they interview him, he always talks about how he's shy and how he's a really kind of an introverted person who kind of became a comedian because he did, but it wasn't necessarily because he could become a comedian, but he's not a natural performer or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, the way he talks about it, he said he's always very much like, well, you know, friendship is, uh, you know, some not all friendships last forever. But he also drug Arsenio through the mud because they had been friends and he knew all of Arsenio's insecurities, those teeth, that butt, the overacting and rolling across the floor. And Eddie Murphy is my best friend, all of that. So he so even though he says he really that, he really dragged him later. And then Arsenio won't talk about it at all. But if you listen, like other comedians talk about it, like Chris Rock actually has a really insightful thing to say about it and that he talks about the fact that it was, they were like two jealous girlfriends fighting over Eddie Murphy's affections. Hmm. Uh, and then when, so, and so if you look at Eddie Murphy, not Eddie Murphy raw, the second special delirious no yeah no sorry raw not delirious if you look at eddie murphy raw keenan is credited as a co-writer in raw and that apparently caused this huge like rift in the friendship group and all these problems because nobody thought he deserved to be on the film because he only had gave some ideas and that's what comedians do which is true if you sit backstage at any comedy show everybody's sitting around like just riffing it's Mm -hmm. just a thing you know because you can um, so apparently it was, he was just riffing and he didn't feel like he needed to be a co-author. All of this stuff was happening. Um, and then when it comes to things like coming to America and other movies, Arsenio is the one who's getting cast because Keenan is busy with the show. Right. So there was this whole, like, there's this whole longstanding rivalry between the two, but they were really close friends at a point in time. 
was Keenan busy with the show at that time, or was he busy with his own movie? Because Coming to America came out in 88, yeah. and so mm-hmm. did I, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Yeah, so it was a bit of both, really. Yeah. He was busy with his own films, then he was busy with the show. I mean, mm-hmm. like, just kind of every... When Harlem Nights came out, Keenan wasn't involved, but Richard Pryor was, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it was, you know, so was Arsenio, so it was yeah. this whole kind of thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, as, you, as you said, mm-hmm. he was overacting so much oh, on yeah. that sketch. Just totally. Rolling mm-hmm. around the floor doing somersaults, mm-hmm. I mean, like like donkey kicking. Acting an the, entire fool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Chris Rock, uh, Cheap Pete. Good Lord, that's a lot of money. Yeah, honestly, I maybe this is not a popular perspective, but I don't think Chris Rock only really ever played Cheap Pete on In Living Color. And honestly, he was... He might as well not have been on that show. He played Cheap Pete on SNL too. Right. But again, he was meant to be one of the original cast members and he got picked up by SNL before. By the way, you know who else almost wound up on this show? Adam Sandler. But he got picked up by SNL like two weeks after they he did the audit they went to go hear him to audition him. And then he got picked up by SNL and it just disappeared. And Keenan still really wanted Jim Carrey. So in the time between Jim Carrey, they said they wanted him and then they actually signed him. They auditioned Adam Sandler, David Spade. Um, who's the white guy who's in Sideways? Uh, he's in Sideways and in George of the Jungle. He's he's not even like a super popular film star, but he's um, but you know, I mean you'd know him if you saw him. Um, Thomas something. Oh, what's his name? Uh, so they uh, they like went to go hear all these other and see all these other white comedians, and it could have been Adam Sandler and Chris Rock on. Uh, huh on in living color but they were both picked up by snl first while but the whole time chris rock was a friend and he was kind of in the background so when they were going through all this flux with the cast he was he seemed to be a natural step in but it didn't work out while we're on that subject mm-hmm. it should be noted that damien wayans was an snl cast member during right. the show's mm-hmm. uh 85 and 86 season mm-hmm. but he was let go because he apparently ad-libbed during a live sketch mm-hmm. also he didn't like being the black punchline that was chris rock's problem also for a lot of his time on the show yeah mm-hmm Colin Quinn, who was in SNL, was a writer for the fifth season. Yep. Molly Shannon. She's actually on the show. She's like, yeah. she has a bit part. Yeah. She was an apparently an office trainee. Yeah. And Jim Carrey auditioned three times for SNL before getting a living color. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But comedy is like anything else in the entertainment business. It's all who are you friends with? Mm-hmm. Again, could you imagine if Jim Carrey was a staple on SNL? Like how that could have been different. You know what's in? Yeah, because even looking back at his, um, like his appearances as a host on SNL, mm-hmm. it's interesting because he could have been, he would have been just as natural a fit on that show, maybe even more natural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's keep going on yeah, our favorite really, sketches. Yeah, uh-huh. You're good. The Brothers Brothers. Uh, yeah. Ken and Damon was, were playing yeah, these kind of Uncle Tom characters. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was my favorite, but mm-hmm. it's definitely one that stood out. I, I definitely yeah. liked. And on Jamie Foxx to Duke and Cornbread Turner, he's this uh, this old man mm-hmm. who doesn't understand that his dog is dead that he's carrying around. Oh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. the way that he kind of carries it and moves it around, mm-hmm. is, is just mm-hmm. the visual gag is so funny to me. Right, yeah. And of course, you can't bring up Jamie Foxx without bringing up Wanda. Wanda. Yeah. Yeah. Which I kind of feel the way you feel about Fire Marshal Bill. Like that was so funny at the time, but now it's like, um, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you on that. And some other ones. Uh, Oswald Bates 
the the hotep guy who, yes. who kept mixing up words. I love that character. I just love that ridiculous, just the way he talks. It's so crazy. This show owes a lot, though, to the Carol Burnett show, another famous sketch show. And you can see it in characters like Oswald Bates. And I wanted to mention before the black and white lady in the... Um, in the, in the full color world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, sketches like that definitely kind of pay homage to things that were done on that show in the past. Yeah. I want to just get of a, an Oswald quote that was, mm-hmm. cause he would talk for folks who don't know, Oswald was a guy in jail. He, he was a criminal kind of trying to reform and he was trying to read. And upon that, he was trying to, you know, preach to people, but didn't mm-hmm. really know what he was talking about and just using the wrong words all the time. Like me sometimes. <laughs> but not nearly as bad as this guy. Mm-hmm. There's a quote that I found was just hilarious. Unfortunately, we could not impregnate everyone. It is beyond our colonic threshold. I believe it was Plato, excuse me, I mean Plato, who stuck to the wall when he said, one must not put one's transvestite in jeopardy if one is to become a cunning linguist. <laughs> <laughs> just could you imagine writing that stuff that is hilarious <laughs> oh my gosh i love it mm-hmm. anton jackson another damon wayans character the, the mm-hmm. homeless character yeah i don't like gross out humor like mm-hmm. body excretion yeah but everything else that he did was hilarious mm-hmm. to me yeah it's just it's a great concept i just it's very authentic to a certain experience of american life that wasn't really being shown as something that could even be funny so yeah, Same definitely. With, uh, Kim Wayne's Patrice Patrell, right? Yeah. Everyone knows mm-hmm. that gossiping. Yeah, yeah. Aunt, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. Totally. I mean, a lot of the characters were like that. I mean, some of them were more absurd than sublime, like you know, Fire Marshal Bill. But, right. You know, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I love the Homeboy Shopping Network. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about the later ones. I don't, uh-huh. I don't think they had a lot of them. Again, a lot of these, they had so many ca- characters and sketches that nobody really had a lot of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was I was, I was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. We're leaving else? out a, car- a cast member, but it's because he didn't have a lot of recurring characters. He was often he often played the straight man or did impressions. Tommy Davidson, mm. who again, uh, I think I texted you when we were talking about doing this show and kind of to say, hey, do you know who had who caused the most drama on the set? It was actually Tommy Davidson, not necessarily through any fault of his own, but he was an addict. Right. And the In Living Color was a really clean show. Most comedy shows now and then are rife with like you know they're party shows i mean like there's a lot of drugs happening i mean look at what's happened to certain cast members of snl at the same time as in living color was right was yeah farley etc right so they were party shows there were a lot of drugs a lot of drinking a lot of partying but in living color was a very clean show because it was a family show it literally was run by one family and he was an addict and keenan was really hard on him and he kind of you notice he sort of disappears for certain portions like kind of towards the end of season two season three he disappears and then he comes back but he came back into all the drama with keenan leaving so he just kind of i don't think he it's funny because he became a star off of it but mm-hmm. i don't know that he necessarily got to do as much as he could have done right. because of that sure mm-hmm. but he was still really funny yeah, but he great. never really had any like recurring recurring characters i don't think he had the one character with the algor they were the um those studio oh, funky producers, finger productions yeah which i mm-hmm. I thought they it were was, funny. Yeah, cuz I mean, they weren't yeah. bad mm-hmm. at all, but mm-hmm. I, it, they, they were one of my favorites, but they were yeah, they, I thought they were it funny. was yeah, I thought it was funny cuz there are always so many hangers on like yeah. at everything. Yeah. Um but anyway, uh yeah, so he had a couple characters, but most of the time he played straight man. So he was always the foil for Wanda. 
he was often, you know, just kind of the guy who is the butt of the joke, which I thought, which is a skill in and of itself. And he, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I think one of the first appearances with Grace Jones, she like, she crashed that window at the blind date yeah, uh-huh. and carried him off. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Do you have anything else to say? About this? No. Yeah. I mean, about like our favorites? No. I mean, the drama is really fascinating and there's loads more we could talk about, but that's honestly go back and watch the show it really is it's a time capsule but it's also still really funny and timely and relevant in a lot of ways absolutely um i want to quickly get into a little bit of trivia Mm -hmm. and i'm sure mel knows all this stuff but we're gonna play a little game i'll ask a question Mm -hmm. i'll give multiple choice and i'll give it a little time and you all can have some time at home to think about it and Mm -hmm. we'll see how much you all know or Mm -hmm. can guess at least so we'll start off with Number one, who was the first actor to guest on the show? Number one, Queen Latifah. Number two, Billy D. Williams. Number three, Tupac. Number oh. four, Ice Cube. And your guess, Mel? Billy D. That is correct. Yeah. He was on the I Love Laquita sketch. Which is, yeah, which another is another recurring sketch that was really funny, but they didn't do a lot of them because they had so many. And Keenan's Billy D impression's really good. It was really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that none of them were impressionists by trade, but they did really good impressions. Totally. Mm-hmm. Number two is an easy one mm-hmm. for you. And we'll see how everyone else feels. Mm-hmm. Which season did Jennifer Lopez join the Fly Girls? Season two. Season three, season four, season five. Season three, I guess. I might be wrong. Season three or season four, somewhere in there. Hmm. I don't know. Actually, I should know, but I don't know because it's Jennifer Lopez. She was not the most important part of it. Gotta commit. Okay, fine. Season three. Season three is correct. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Very good. Next. After the debut of the show, what was the first major movie from an In Living Color cast member? Number one, Blank Man. Number two, Major Pain. Number three, Mo Money. Number four, A Low Down Dirty Shame. Ooh, good question. It's either Blank Man or Mo Money. I think it's Mo Money. It's a good question. Audience at home, what's your guess? I think it's Mo Money. Commit. Yeah, because that was a, yeah, I think it's Mo Money. You are also correct. Yes. Mo Money came out in 1992. Mm-hmm. Blank Man came out in 1994. Right. Okay. Major Pain was 95 and mm-hmm. Low Down Dirty Shame with Jada Pinkett was 94. Yep. Okay. Oh, well, that's, that, that won't work. That's too easy. Oh, really? Well, I don't actually have an answer for that either. Oh, okay. So <laughs> what is it? Oh, I was going to ask which cast member did in return after season one. Obviously, that's Kim Kim Cole. Yeah, so. yeah exactly, which isn't a sad story, but forget right. it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. When did Jimmy Fox join the cast of In Living Color? Season two, season three, season four, season five. Season three. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Very good. And my last one, which is which is which blew my mind. Really? Mm. Last question. Mm-hmm. Which in Living Color character was adapted into a PC game? What? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what? Exactly. 
Wait, what? <laughs> and your choices are number one, Wanda. Number two, Anton Jackson. <laughs> number three, Homie the Clown. Number four, Vera DeMilo. This is bizarre. This is something I completely missed. Uh, whoa. Uh, take your time. Audience, take your time. Oh my gosh. Wow. I'll say, I'll say it one more time. Which Living Color character was adapted into a PC game? A PC game? Number one, and I'm sorry, number one, Wanda. Number two, Anton Jackson. Number three, Homie the Clown. Number four, Jim Carrey's Vera DeMilo. Okay, so I'm going to guess it's either Homie the Clown or Vera DeMilo. I can't imagine what an Anton Jackson game would consist of. Ha! Friends, countryman. Yeah. Give me a dollar. Being in a bottle, I don't know. But like aiming, I don't know what that game would be. I could see Vero de Milo perhaps having a game. Homie the Clown, okay, you could like run through like hitting kids in the head. I'm just trying to think like 90s PC games. What would that consist of, right? Like what was the first option? Wanda. Oh yeah, no, no, definitely not Wanda because what would Wanda do? Yeah, um, nobody can see you making that Wanda face, but it's quite good. Thank uh, you. <laughs> um, gosh, I'm going to say Homie the Clown. You are correct. Wow. Okay. Homie the Clown came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. In 96, it was declared the fifth worst video game ever. Which explains nobody's ever heard of it. Like, wow. This was rated by Computer Gaming World. So seriously, everyone go home. Pause what? the show if you want. When the show, we're about over now. But when the show is over, YouTube, this game, it does exist. Okay, but what was it? Could you could you give us a quick, what what, what even was it? What did it consist of? Honestly, I, I didn't have enough time to really stick around. Okay. But essentially, it was kind of a... A text-based game, but there was also. Are you serious? I, I could be wrong. <laughs> a text-based I could, homie the clown game. I could be wow. wrong, but it uh-huh. was like essentially. Uh, let me let me let me look it up. Wow. Honestly, let me look it up. I'm I never wow, and I'm like a super <laughs> fan, but I never in a million years would have guessed. Wow. Oh my god! It like literally, po- yo, like my phone is spying. Like the first thing that popped up when I looked it up was homie the clown video game, published by Capstone. Are you kidding me? Well, it's not Capcom. It's you know, it's Capstone. Capstone. I know. Capstone, They weren't yeah. great. Well, yeah, but they did a lot of stuff, uh, like a lot of, wow. And there's like literally no information except exactly. for that it was a terrible again, game. Again, y'all can look that up on wow. your own. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Goodness. I can't imagine what that would be like. I've got to look it up. That's nuts. The screenshots look ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. It's on Abandonware. You can totally play the game if you want. Not that I want to, but this is nuts. Before my battery goes wow. out okay. and uh-huh. uh, we leave, do you want to talk about Kim Kim Cole? Kim Cole's? Uh, yeah, so she was in the first season, but she was, I don't think she did a lot of writing and she just felt really demoralized. She didn't realize she was getting fired until she did. Same thing happened to Steve Park, by the way. In between season three and season four, the LA riots happened. And he, it's actually kind of bittersweet because he was like, I felt a real solidarity, like we're all going through the same thing. And then he found out he got let go and he took it personally because he was like, is it because of the riots? But he didn't really do much. Again, he was another one who didn't really do much on the show. Right. He was kind of playing these sort of one note characters. He didn't have anything that was recurring. He wasn't doing as much writing as other people. He and Kim Coles kind of served the same fate, although he kind of thought there was a racial component to it too. And Kim Coles thought there was a gender component to it because there was there were all these rumors about her and Keenan that they both vehemently deny because mm-hmm. she was married at the time. Maybe not because she was married, but she was married at the time and they both deny that there was anything going on. But there were 
she does mention that there were a lot of um, there were a lot of things that made her uncomfortable about being on the show, and she just wasn't writing. Um, and also, I think there was always kind of a little bit of tension because, like, there was a recurring joke between the writers, and this has been recorded in numerous articles and books and things. If your name wasn't Wayans, you didn't have a shot. So everybody was pissed, for example, when Sean Wayans was promoted from the DJ feature to, he's a, but he wasn't even a DJ. He was just hanging out to like learn the business, really. I mean, if you mm-hmm. actually, on that note, as, yeah. as a DJ, mm-hmm. if you actually watch him his performance yeah, quote unquote. DJing, there's nothing, like he was kind of scratching the record yeah. when there was no, no scratches, scratches yeah, in exactly. the song. He was just kind of very, attached to very, anything. very yeah. performative. Yeah, exactly. So everybody was pissed when they made him a cast member. And I think that that was the beginning of that sort of sentiment was with Kim Coles being let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, some direct quotes from Kim Cole, which mm-hmm. I want to read yeah. from an article I read from from that time. Mm-hmm. It's a show designed for and by men, she said. I know that women are always complaining. Well, it's a man's world. Well, in this case, where it ab- it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Most of the work is written for the men. That's the way Keenan is. He's very male-oriented. I don't want to say macho. He doesn't hate women, but he's a man and absolutely comes from a man's perspective. That's the first complaint. Secondly, any work that was given to the women, most of it went to two of the women, which were his sister, Kim Wayans and Kelly Cofield. That just developed as a pattern on and on and on. I don't think I ever would have become a star on that show. It was limiting. So Keenan did me a favor by letting me go. And she said, I am now limitless. Who knows, maybe I'll never work on another TV series again, but I'm better off being free than being in a situation where my creative ability is not being fully realized to its fullest potential. Right. And, of, and of course, she later went on to do Living, Living Single, Single, which yeah. we all love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more power to her. Not yeah. everything has to be a fit, you know. And I mean, and the entertainment is such a fickle beast. If I can totally understand why she made the decision she did. And she's right. And, you know, this is a problem that is still a thing in comedy. Comedy is a boys club. If you're going to hang out with comedians, if you're going to be involved in comedy, you've got to learn to kind of hang with the boys. You've got to kind of out vulgar them a little bit. There's a reason most of the top build female comedians are rude and crude and loud because you kind of have to be. And even girlish comedy. I mean, look at people like Tiffany Haddish where she's a woman and a com- and a comedian and she's feminine and pretty and cute, but she's also kind of a bimbo and she's also kind of gross. Like you really got to navigate all those angles to make it in comedy because it is still a boys club. And I can't imagine sketch comedy being any different. And I think it's notable that out of the sketch comedy series that have been uh, hits since In Living Color, the only one that had a serious female presence was Mad TV. But it's almost like we've kind of gone backwards in time a little bit since then because Key and Peele, women were a negligible presence. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, women were a negligible presence. Uh Mad TV had female cast members, but it was still very much a boys club of a show. And you shout can out tell. to Deborah Wilson. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, but Deborah Wilson was amazing. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other comments on the show, legacy, anything like that? Well, we I mean, up? I think we kind of have the same thing in mind where it's just we owe in living color a lot. Mm-hmm. It was like you said, the premier black sketch show the only black sketch show for a long time. And it, there, it's kind of, I was listening to an interview with Aries Spears, who was on Mad TV the other day, and he was saying, you know, in Hollywood, there still is very much this idea that there can only be one, 
right? So there was only one black sketch show at any given time. And then Living Color was the first to hold the torch. <laughs> yeah. Although before then, you know, there was the Richard Pryor show, which had a really short run because he quit halfway through production. And Flip Wilson, same thing. He right. like walked away after a season. Um, it's notable that Keenan lasted for as long as he did. I mean, if you think about it, the only black sketch show, if we're going to call it that, that were the... Uh, where the principles lasted for the whole thing was Key and Peele. Dave Chappelle walked. Key and Peele lasted through the whole thing, but they also went into new projects immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. As you said, uh, definitely a time capsule that everyone should revisit. Definitely mm-hmm. the first two seasons are great. Yeah, definitely. The first two seasons are great. The third season is good. Yeah. After that, it kind of turns into proto-mad TV. It stops being so so black. It just kind of becomes this sort of catch-all sketch show because you've got all these random weird people. And it, it looks a lot like mad TV did eventually. And you're totally right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally right. Okay. Well, this was a, a beefy episode. It was. We did a lot of chitter-chatter. Hopefully it's okay. Y'all were able to follow it. If you didn't, that's okay. Go watch In Living Color. <laughs> yeah. Hope you all dug the show. Mm-hmm. Of course, we are blurred up. If you want to find us, we are on Facebook at B L E R D U P. We are on Instagram at B L E R D period U P. We are on Twitter at B L E R D U. And of course, we are on blurred.com. Our lovely sponsors, full of nerdy content from a black cultural lens. Look out. They're going to have some kind of a tsunami cartoon short with yours truly as a voice actor in it. Mm-hmm. I'll post that in our various social media. Pages, Mill, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me here at Blurred Up, of course, and also at Equal Opportunity Reader. We're going to be doing a plague read-along soon. So those of you who want to read a book about plagues, not that that's inappropriate for the times or anything, follow us and you'll be able to join up, join into that. Yeah, me and Jack were talking about you. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was in tune with your, you read a short story. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, by it? Alice Walker, yeah, yeah. Everyday Use. That was, yeah. that was really cool. Yeah, I'm going to see. The problem is it's hard to find things that are not going to get snatched by the copyright censors. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, fair enough. I want to pay people for their work, but sure. I don't have thousands of dollars to buy, sure. to buy rights. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. Speaking of uh, suggestions and listeners and all of that, I want to give a shout out to somebody special. We have a listener named Makita. She's one of our OG listeners. She always is posting and engaging us on the wall. And without putting things on blast, we just want to wish you the best with everything that's coming up with you, girl. And, you know, we're thinking about you. We appreciate you listening so much, you and your buddy Fred. We really appreciate y'all. And I hope that everything goes well for you. Stay strong. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. And as always, peace. Okay.